Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. to say I'm rather excited about uh, this week's episode because it coincides with the launch of the latest issue of the Fast Track Impact magazine. This is our third issue uh, in its third year and um, uh, it's only six months late this year. (laughs) It could be worse. Uh, We've not managed to make it on time yet Um, but uh, I hope that it was worth the wait. So uh, it is of course uh, available for free as a PDF. There's also a web version of it as well. Uh, So just head to fasttrackimpact.com forward slash magazine and you can go to the third issue there. Uh, one of the key things that, uh, that we've got in this is uh, the launch of a new prize, which we're calling the Unsung Impacts Prize. Uh, so I'm going to uh, read from the, the key article uh, in, the, in the magazine, where we explain what this is all about and uh, reveal the winner for the first time. Uh, So uh, in the last issue of the magazine, uh, more than a year ago now, I asked you to send us in your unsung impacts. Uh, I've put out a plea a few times on the podcast as well. And um, uh, and essentially what I was asking for are the sorts of stories that your press office isn't interested in, that you would never submit to uh, your uh, institution, to your boss, to a research evaluation. didn't make it onto your CV. But these are stories that that you often care very deeply about, and many of them are incredibly inspiring. And for me, by allowing these stories to remain unheard, we allow our institutions to narrow and instrumentalise the public's view of the value of research. And so it might not be strategic to tell these stories, but I think it's essential that we do to celebrate the rich diversity of benefits that can arise from research. We weren't sure how to show the showcase the impacts that you uh, sent us in, so this uh, did not start life as a, as, a, as a prize, I will confess. But it quickly became apparent to us that, uh, that we were going to have to be very selective about which impacts we, conc- we included. Some of the entries were incomplete, um, others appeared to be unsung for very good reasons. Um, uh, and so uh, this was about uh, showcasing as, as many as possible. Um, that that met uh, the the key criteria. Uh, so this is a, a short list, uh, essentially, of the ones that uh, that uh, we believed were most inspiring. But um, uh, as we discussed the different ways of recognising this, uh, we thought that it's really important that we celebrate these impacts. And uh, in an attempt to try and raise the profile and importance of these kinds of impact that are so often overlooked, we tried to turn this into a prize. So uh, what we've done is we've uh, given the winner uh, £1,000. It goes to their research group. In this week's podcast, uh, right at the end, I'm going to hold you hold on to this. I'm going to tell you who uh, actually wins. But first of all, here are the people who were shortlisted. So we've got Dr. Esme Hanna from De Montfort University. Uh, her research was on male infertility. We've got Dr. Wendy Dossett from University of Chester, who was looking at recovery from substance addiction. We've got Sarah McKeon from Open University, working on spiritualism, and uh, Ian Marder from Maynooth University, Ireland, uh, on restorative justice. So what were the impacts and why were they unsung? For me, one of the things that's fascinating as a researcher 
analyzing these is the reasons why people have impacts that are unsung. And I kind of thought of a few reasons, uh, which was what made us launch the competition. But uh, there were actually six reasons that emerged from the uh, from the competition entries. The first is that they have too limited reach. It's one person. Nobody's really going to care about that. But hey, it's one person. That's one person's life. Uh, the second one is unmeasurable impacts. Then we've got impacts for the wrong people at the wrong time or place. Impacts from ineligible research or contested underpinning research. And then finally, confidential impacts. So let's go through them in turn, and I'm going to illustrate each of these reasons that impacts might be unsung with examples from the, the competition entrance. So the first is limited reach. And uh, I'm going to showcase Dr. Esme Hanna's research from the Montford University here on male infertility, because it had a, a bunch of unexpected benefits for the men she interviewed. Although the impact was restricted to her sample of interviewees, for each of those individuals, the impact was massive. She received emails from participants, for example, she says, saying that they appreciated the topic being discussed, that hearing it being talked about made them feel less alone, or that seeing that other men in the research felt the same made them feel that they were not the only ones going through this. It's just her interview sample, but for those few people, this really, really mattered. Dr. Wendy Dossett from the University of Chester is a religious studies scholar studying how people with substance addictions engage with recovery programs that include the concept of a higher power. Participants in her Higher Power project reported how being invited to reflect on and talk about what higher power meant to them as part of the research helped deepen their recovery. And they found reading the project findings about the higher power concepts of others reassuring. Dr. Dossett said, whatever impacts my research does or doesn't have for the Research Excellence Framework or REF, the fact that it has helped and reassured the very people who have generously shared their stories with me means a great deal. Dr. Sarah McKeon's AHRC-funded research on spiritualism at the Open University led to an exhibition in Stoke-on-Trent in which an uncanny coincidence presented itself to one of the visitors. Part of the exhibition was a, a recreation of a living room with photographs dotted around the room of deceased members of the local community. The visitor first noticed that the telephone in the room was the exact same model as a 1980s telephone she'd been looking at on eBay the day before, and then noticed a photograph of her grandfather as a baby, which was identical to a photo on her own mantelpiece. She walked over to the photo, touched her granddad, and her daughter took a photo. When she returned home and looked at the photo, she was surprised to see half of her hand was missing and a wavy line ran right through the centre of the picture. It seems a series of events had unfolded which any spiritualist would naturally put down to the agency of spirit. Spiritualists suggest that the spirit often uses repetition to bring attention to its presence, and such repetition could be seen to be at work in this lady's encounter. 
Despite not being a spiritualist, she interpreted the uncanny experience as a sign that her grandfather wanted to say goodbye. So she returned to the living room the next day to do just that. And in the magazine article, you can see the images of the living room and, uh, and the photograph. The second of these reasons why people have unsung impacts is that the impact just might not be measurable. So Sarah McKeon aimed to achieve spiritual impacts through her research on spiritualism, which she argued were impossible to measure. However, there are many more tangible impacts that are almost as difficult to evaluate. Dr. Ian Marder, a legal academic from Maynooth University, founded a network with researchers, policymakers and practitioners to enable new people to research, understand and practice restorative justice. This led to an impressive number of people engaging with the research via social media, conferences, a podcast and policy seminars. But he has no evidence that these led to significant or far-reaching benefits for any of the network members. He explained, networks like this have huge value, but you can't track the outcome of every conversation and where it leads when you put researchers and practitioners together like this. In theory, it would be possible to study this, and had he remained in the UK, he says he might have considered investing the time and energy to create a REF impact case study. But in common with many researchers whose impact is challenging to evaluate, he chose to focus on continuing to generate impacts rather than diverting his time and energy into evaluation. Next, we've got impacts for the wrong people at the wrong time or place. Now, depending on who is evaluating your impact, different people, places or time periods may or may not count. Some funders have quite prescriptive outcomes that they hope to see from the research they invest in, and national evaluations of research have very specific criteria. For example, many academics feel the greatest impact of their careers come from their students and their teaching, but this only counts for REF if we can frame these as pedagogical impacts and ideally they benefit more than just our own students. Even more frustrating and a common reason why impacts are not celebrated in the UK is that they have happened at the wrong time, usually before the current REF period, or in the wrong place, for example in a non-participating institution if the academic came from policy, industry or abroad. A less common type of impact for the wrong person is when research unexpectedly has significant benefits for the researcher themselves. This happened to Dr. Wendy Dossett during her research on recovery from addiction because she herself had been in recovery for more than 14 years. As she explained, my own private recovery experiences were never the focus of my research. I wanted to tell the stories of others. However, an unintended benefit of devoting much of my academic life to this research over the last five years has been to keep me curious about the recovery process and to keep me engaged in a wider variety of recovery communities and discourses than I would otherwise have been. While I'm careful to separate this from academic outcomes, hearing the stories of others has undeniably been of significant personal benefit to my own ongoing recovery. Next, we've got impacts from ineligible research. So many researchers play roles as knowledge brokers, advising organisations or governments, chairing committees and leading inquiries. And the impact of this work can be significant and far-reaching, but if they're doing their job correctly, then they should not be privileging their own research. 
the fact that they got the job means they have expertise in the area and so it's not inconceivable that they will generate impacts from their research alongside the research of others. But even in, in this situation, it can be hard to disentangle whose work really made a difference. Dr Ian Marder was commissioned by the Council of Europe to write a new law on restorative justice and focused on ensuring the document was evidence-based. But as an early career academic, with little of his own research publicly available, most of the evidence came from other researchers. Although this is a problem for REF in the UK, as an Irish academic now, Dr Marder is encouraged to continue working with governments and criminal justice institutions across the EU to implement the law he helped develop for the good of society, despite the fact that it isn't based primarily on his research. Linked to this then is the idea of contested underpinning research. And of course there are some unsung impacts that should remain unsung because there are doubts over the rigour of the research that underpins them. Impacts based on a flawed research may be damaging to society. Uh, and one of the entries that was not shortlisted was for impacts based on highly contested research. The more controversial a claim, the higher the burden of proof that is required, and in this case it wasn't possible to incontrovertibly prove the claims of the research. However, for me this entry highlights the challenges around generating impacts from contested or controversial research, whether the grounds for objecting are scientific or moral. Many researchers are trying to achieve impacts against the odds on issues that they've researched rigorously and care deeply about, that, but that make them unpopular with powerful vested interests. If we are convinced that we stand on firm ground with our research, then these can be among the hardest impacts to pursue, requiring tenacity and often personal sacrifice. Finally, Confidential impacts. Uh, confidentiality is the reason for many unsung impacts, and again, a very good reason for not singing uh, about this from the rooftops. Most commonly, the evidence of impact is commercially sensitive, and despite assurances of confidentiality or redaction, companies are just not prepared to share evidence that would demonstrate the impact of the research. It's often possible to get around these sorts of situations. Um, I, I've written a blog uh, about how to try and legitimately and fairly get commercially sensitive data in ways that people are happy to share, uh, often using proxies. But uh, it is a bigger problem, I think, when this is actually a question of ethics. The testimonials sent via email to Dr Esme Hanna by infertile men that she interviewed describe significant benefits to the participants. However, as these emails are between participants and the researcher, they are private for both ethical and anonymity reasons. Wendy Dossett identifies as a person in long-term recovery, but she keeps her own story private for ethical and anonymity reasons. This is not, she says, out of shame, but because any individual recovery story is interlinked in complex ways with that of others who have not consented to engage in a research process. She said, in my research project, I can't offer myself the same ethical commitment to anonymity I make to my participants, so I must handle my own confidentiality and anonymity different, differently. I never speak about my own story beyond identifying as being in long-term recovery. 
For a qualitative researcher, he would normally disclose a relationship to a research site. This is a complex ethical dilemma. However, protecting and benefiting the community within which my research is undertaken has to be front and centre of my research decision-making. So choosing between the four shortlisted entries was almighty challenging, I have to say. Uh, but uh, we did make a decision, and I am pleased to announce that our Unsung Impact Award goes to Dr. Wendy Dossett from the University of Chester for her work on recovery from addiction. For me, what made Dr. Dossett's work stand out was the clear and unexpected benefits received by both by herself as a person in recovery and by her participants. Uh, and we certainly all found Dr. Dossett's openness, uh, and hope you found this, uh, her openness uh, about being a researcher in recovery herself genuinely inspiring. On receiving the award, Dr. Dossett said, I certainly don't consider myself inspiring, uh, nor think that my recovery as, particular, uh, as a particular matter of pride. I'm simply grateful for it and endeavour not to be complacent about it. However, in a depersonalised sense, yeah, you're right. Recovery from addic addiction is in itself inspiring. It is hopelessness and shame transformed into hope and meaning. It's sometimes said that recovery is something that occurs in the spaces between people. It is a social endeavour. Doing a qualitative research project is also inevitably a social endeavour. The life worlds of people in long-term recovery are not well studied or understood, and if studying them turns out to be in itself a pro-recovery activity, then I'm pleased about them, even if that is largely unmeasurable. I'm very privileged indeed both to be in recovery today and to be able to work academically in this area. This award is a wonderful idea because it pushes back against a problematic, bureaucratic narrative which excludes more researchers than it includes. I didn't realise when I responded to Fast Track Email's call for accounts of unsung impact that I might win a competition. I simply wanted to affirm your idea that so many important impacts are indeed unsung. However, I'm delighted to have won. We'll use the prize money to enable people in early recovery to shape our own research project design going forward and to facilitate their attendance at national conferences to contribute their experience and ideas to the wider addiction recovery research agenda. You don't have to change the world. If you make one person's life better, you've achieved impact. That one small impact can have more meaning and significance for you as a researcher than the research findings themselves, and be the thing that keeps you motivated and inspired in your job when it feels like everything else has been measured to death. I'm going to conclude by drawing on some of the other quotes from the runners-up that inspire me most. Uh, and first I'm going to give you something from Dr. Esme Hanna. She said, this is why I do research, to improve things to help shine light on the things that are hidden, to give a voice to those who maybe don't feel able to use theirs. Being able to change things for one person feels good. Every time a participant thanks me for doing the research or suggests that by helping answer the research questions, they feel they're helping others, it is really gratifying and affirms what the true social value of research is about.
Dr. Ian uh, Marder says, Irish academic culture gave me more freedom to pursue the impacts I was passionate about. I'm a ref UG because I didn't have enough papers to get a post in the UK at the point in the ref cycle I needed a job. Now, as an Irish academic, I'm free to pursue impacts in my field that are not based on my own research, as long as it benefits society. And finally, from Dr. Sarah McKeon. It was difficult to measure impact in any scientific or quantifiable way because the particular impact we were really keen on seeking was not materially tangible in any way. It was related to the impact of living with spirit. Yet, as a research team, we could see the project had huge impact for our participants in ways which were meaningful for them, regardless of how insignificant or irrelevant they may seem to external audiences. That was all the evidence of impact that we felt we needed. So impact assessments uh, are spreading around the world. Uh, the UK is often used uh, as an example, uh, the others are in some cases following. And um, as I've covered in an article in the magazine, um, uh, REF 2028 or whatever the number is going to be, um, uh, there are suggestions that perhaps this should be 100% based on impact. Uh, uh, and you can make your own mind up on what you think of that. Uh, have a read of the article and um, and, uh, and uh, engage with the argument. Uh, it's, a, it's an interest. It's an intriguing argument that uh, Stephen Hill, director of research policy for for Research England, makes. Uh, but I think we need to to think really hard about how we prevent systems like this from inadvertently. And it is inadvertent. This isn't what they set out to do uh, by any means but inadvertently narrowing and instrumentalizing what we consider to be valid impact. We need to make sure impact assessment doesn't skew efforts away from the important work of holding governments to account and transforming lives one person at a time. It is often the small impacts that nobody can prove that are the most inspiring. <laughs>